How marvellous, how wonderful is your love for us, Lord. We pray that we would know your love this evening. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sure you've heard of the radio programme at Desert Island Discs. Uh, celebrities are invited to share their choice of eight songs, a book and a luxury item uh, that they would want to have with them if they were stranded on a desert island. I wonder what your items would be. You can tell me at the door on the way out, but don't think about it the whole way through the sermon. We need to concentrate for now. It's a fun question, but the question really is, what could you not do without? And while Desert Island Discs is a bit of fun, what if it wasn't just a radio program? What if the circumstances in your life brought about a radical change in your circumstances or in your, in your fortunes? To have seen the victims of Grenfell Tower in London the other week, woken in the middle of the night, have to get out with only what they stand in. And to think, what could you not do without? What would you cling to in that moment of devastation? Well, in our Old Testament reading tonight, the prophet Habakkuk is facing a similar meltdown. It's not the way he expected things to turn out, and the prospect of disaster now lies before him. It's a bit like, you know, uh, you see an accident happening in front of you in slow motion, but you can do nothing about it. What will Habakkuk cling to as disaster strikes? Well, if you've been with us on Sunday evenings, uh, you'll know that Habakkuk's uh, little book, uh, just three chapters, is a two-way conversation between Habakkuk and God. Right at the start, Habakkuk had complained that his nation was doing wrong, and yet God wasn't doing anything about it. God wasn't acting to judge them. So God says that he's planning to do something about it. Something incredible. Something unbelievable. Something you wouldn't believe if you were told. That he was bringing the Babylonians to come and punish them. Now God's doing what Habakkuk wanted him to do. He's punishing Israel, but Habakkuk can't understand why God is doing it. And so he complains again. He says, you know, we might be bad, but they're worse than we are. But God says that while he will use Babylon to punish Judah, one day he will also punish Babylon. And then God calls Habakkuk and us to trust him in that 
famous little phrase from chapter 2. The righteous will live by his faith. Last week we imagined this book as a Wimbledon tennis match back and forward. And we were watching the exchanges. Well, if you have your Bible open, page 942, have a look back at the end of chapter 2 to see how it ends. Uh, Chapter 2 and verse 20. Uh, And this is uh, God speaking. This is the end of, of God saying, here's what I'm about to do. And God says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. And you think, well, is that it? Game over? How can you respond to that? If God says, shut up, how can you keep talking? Well, Mary has read chapter 3, so we know there's something else coming. Uh, But we need to see how Habakkuk responds to that. How he responds to the times when God and his purposes just seem confusing. When you can't quite work out what God is doing in the world. Now remember that both of Habakkuk's previous utterances were both complaint. Complaining about his own people and then complaining about the Babylonians and the way God was going to use them. Perhaps you know someone whose every utterance is a complaint. And you think, well, you know when you see them, they're just, something's not right. Something's annoyed them. Well, is that the case with Habakkuk? As he takes a deep breath and begins to speak at the start of chapter 3, is it just going to be another complaint? Well, let's look. Verse 1. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Sigeonath. Well, this time it seems to be different. This time Habakkuk is praying. In fact, his prayer is written as a psalm. That um, Sigeonath, I'm sure that's a term you use all the time. Uh, in your emails or in your phone calls or whatever. Um, It's a a Hebrew musical term. Uh, We find it uh, in Psalms quite a few times in in the titles of the Psalms. There's another hint at the end of verse 19 uh, where it says, For the director of music on my stringed instruments. That's something that you find with some of the Psalms as well. And uh, the the sailor, the pause. Uh, that's in the middle of this chapter a few times it's there at the end of well the middle of verse 3 so Habakkuk is writing a psalm it's it's almost like Psalm 151 uh, if you like but then you remember that well some of the psalms are complaining psalms is he just getting the complaint in by another means Well, look at verse 2. Let's see, does this sound like a complaint? Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. 
Well, that's different, isn't it? First of all, Habakkuk looks back. Having heard of the Lord's fame, his reputation, his power, he stands in awe of the Lord's deeds. It's more like the silence that God had asked for rather than that, why are you doing this and why are you doing that? He remembers what God has previously done. And then he asks that God would do the same things in his day. What we have heard you do in the past, Lord, do now in our day and in our time. And as you do, Lord, as you bring your wrath on our people, Habakkuk says, in wrath, remember mercy. Don't make a full end of us. So what are these deeds that Habakkuk is thinking of? What was it that brought the Lord fame? Well, he recites some of them in verses 3 to 15. At verse 3, God came from Taman at the Holy One from Mount Paran. Taman is in the south. Uh, in the land of Edom. Mount Paran is in and around Mount Sinai. If you were on one, you were near enough on the other. And Habakkuk is recalling the events of the Exodus as God revealed himself at Mount Sinai, having rescued his people from Egypt by the plagues and pestilences that he mentions uh, in verse 5. The earth quaked as the law was given. God led his people to conquer the tents of Cushan and the dwellings of Midian. As he came in, as, as he brought them into the promised land. Do you notice as well that in verses 3 to 7, it's all he, he, he speaking about God. But then in verse 8, he's speaking to God. There's a change there. He says, were you angry with the rivers, O Lord? Riding with his horses and victorious chariots through the Red Sea and also through the River Jordan. Do you remember the two times that the, the, that the, that the sea or the river spread and the people went through on dry land? Habakkuk remembers that God is the one who has all power over his creation. The one who rules and reigns. The one who fights for his people. Verse 12. In wrath you strode through the earth. And in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You might remember that back in in chapter 1, God said about the Babylonians that they uh, sweep past like the wind and go on. that, that, That they stride through all the earth and capture everything. But Habakkuk is remembering that God did that first. And God did that best. This is the fame of the Lord. These are the deeds 
of the Lord God rescuing and saving his people and giving them an inheritance. And Habakkuk wants God to do that in his day. You see, it's not enough for Habakkuk to to say, well, you know, all the good days were in the past. Sometimes we can say that in church. It was great 50 years ago. Or it was great 200 years ago. Why not now? Why not now, God? Do it in our day. That's what Habakkuk asks God to do. And having made his request, Habakkuk then shows that he is resolved to live by faith. Verse 16 brings us to the day of invasion, the day of disaster. Imagine waking up to hear the Babylonians coming over the hill. The noise of men and horses. The dread of what the day might bring. The knowledge that they are in the short term going to conquer. Do you see how Habakkuk's body is affected? Verse 16, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. It's almost like You know in the cartoon where you can see the heart really pumping. Lips quivering, bones decaying, legs trembling, we would say knees knocking. You know that kind of jelly legs. Now is Habakkuk just resigned to, okay, Sarah, Sarah, whatever will be, will be. No, because verse 16 continues. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Habakkuk is saying to God, God, you have said that one day you're going to act to save us and to destroy them. I'm going to take you at your word. And I'm going to wait. Even with my knees knocking. And my heart pounding. Because he he takes God at his word. Now isn't there a parallel with us in this? That God has promised us the victory. The new Heavens and the new earth, the new Jerusalem where there will be no more sin or sorrow or sickness or suffering. The downfall of Satan. And we're just waiting for that day. Waiting patiently for the day of calamity to come on at the one who invades us. Jesus has already won the victory. And yet we're still distressed by sin and by Satan. But we wait for that ultimate victory when sorrow and sin will be no more. 
And so Habakkuk lives by faith. He lives by faith as he waits for for the Babylonians to have their own day of disaster. But it's not an easy faith. It's a faith that faces up to our own disasters. That deals with trials and troubles. At the start I asked you what you couldn't do without. The question of desert island discs. Because for Habakkuk. He has lost everything. In verse 17. He gives us a guided tour of his farm. But it's not like, you know, one of those uh, open farms uh, where the kids can see where the cows are milked and, you know, where you can pet the little chicks. It's more like an abandoned farm. Habakkuk gets his clipboard out and runs through the stock list. Fig tree didn't blossom this year no figs vines no grapes which means no wine olive crop nothing fields no food nothing at all sheep pen well that's empty too Cattle? No cattle. Nothing. Disaster on a total scale, writes one commentator. What would this look like for you? P45? Repossession? Starvation? How would you respond to those circumstances? Well, let's see how Habakkuk responds. Verse 17. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will will be joyful in God my Saviour. He has nothing. And yet he has everything. In those two lines, Habakkuk refers to God in two different ways. And together, they show us why he continues to rejoice, even in those difficult days that he's going through. The Lord, uh, we see that in the line before the end, uh, in, sorry, the first line of verse 18. 
the Lord in capital letters, otherwise known as Yahweh or Jehovah, is the covenant name of God. It's the name revealed to Moses when he called to him from the burning bush. Do you remember? I am who I am. The Lord chose the people of Israel to be his people and he would be their God. He has pledged himself to care and protect them through the covenant he made with them at Mount Sinai. And it's this covenant-making, covenant-keeping God that Habakkuk is trusting in. He is holding God to the promise that God has already made. You see, even when the people of God have failed him, have walked away from him, the Lord is still keeping his covenant with them. Still working his purposes out. It's this faithfulness of the Lord of the Covenant that causes Habakkuk to rejoice. But even more than that, the Lord is also, the next line, I will be joyful in God my Saviour. God is the one who will save. The one who in wrath will remember mercy. You see, sometimes we imagine that when we become a Christian, that God will save us from all trials. We'll never have, you know, any more hard days in our life. That all will always be well. But God doesn't save us from trials. He saves us through trials. We might go through incredibly difficult things, but God will give us the strength to get through them. To keep trusting to him in those hard days. That is Habakkuk's testimony in verse 19. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. The ability to conquer. The ability to keep going. The ability to rise above things. Comes only from the Lord. And from his strength. For Habakkuk, he faced total devastation. And yet he would live by faith as he trusted at the promises that God had given to him. And even though Babylon did come and did punish, Babylon didn't have a total wipeout. Because if that happened, there would have been no Messiah. There would have been no line to bring us down to Jesus. God has fulfilled his promise. He is the one who saves, the one who keeps his promise. 
And this is what it looks like to live by faith. As we pray to God to act. As we wait patiently for him to do what he has said he will do. And even in times of trial or trouble, we can rejoice in the Lord who is our Saviour. Let's pray.